Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name is Mike. This week's guest setlist curator is photographer Bob Minkin. Over his 40-year career, Bob's photographs have been featured in Rolling Stone, Time Magazine, Relics, his hometown Marin Magazine, and many more. Many of his iconic photographs of the dead are featured in Just Jerry, Just Bobby, and the upcoming release Just Phil, books focusing on each titular member. You can order Just Jerry and Just Bobby now via the link in the description. Welcome, Bob. Hi. Thanks for having me. This week's prize pack is generously being provided by Sunshine Daydream Dies. Aaron of Sunshine Daydream Dies is a creator of small batch wearable art, including handmade batik and ice-dyed clothing. Also, tapestries, embroidery, hand-embroidered patches, pants, and overalls. Aaron learned the art of batik in college and quickly fell in love with the process. Her batiks are drawn, waxed, and painted by hand with a focus of detail and consistency placed into each shirt. No two pieces are exactly the same. Erin is a full-time art therapist who, in 2015, turned her passion for art making and the dead into a small side business. Look out for her seasonal releases in custom batik, tie-dye, and embroidery work at sunshine underscore daydream on Instagram and sunshine daydream dies on Etsy. Both those links are in the show notes. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants who are all in a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks, and whoever is furthest off from the correct year in aggregate wins. We've got a record-setting six-time defending champ Steve here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, without further ado, The Grateful Dead. The guesses are in. He was a friend of mine at Bellarmine College on December 7th, 1968. Bob, take it away. So I love that song. I love the way the dead do it. I love the way other bands do it as well. I was reading about the song, how it was uh, first recorded like in, uh, I think, 1939 or so. But uh, everybody seems to change the lyrics on it. Dylan, the birds, Dave Van Ronk. I mean, a whole, you know, everybody. And um, I just love... Jerry's voice and the poignancy of the song just always impressed me. The versions I listened to mostly were from like 69 and 70. So I was looking for a version that I hadn't listened to before. And I was like, oh, wow, 68, that's going to throw a zinger on it. Because I always associate that song with 69 and 70. Well, everyone else associates that song with 69 and 70 as well. Steve, Warren, and Gunner all guess 69. Lars guessed 70. Sorry, Lars. <laughs> Warren is 49 from Toronto. Warren, you guessed 1969 and you're on to the next round. Nice work. What'd you hear there? I heard he was a friend of mine. It sounded like 1969 because that's what I associate that song with. Um, I wouldn't have been able to distinguish that from December 68 in in any way. Well, nice work. You're on to the next round. As is the six-time returning champ, Steve, who's 51 from Lincoln, Nebraska. Steve, 69. I associate that song with 1966. Um, those are the, the 66 versions are the ones that are in my DNA. And I think I've only heard one other version from six, like from that no, wasn't 66 and that was from 69. And um, 
it was the dynamics and I, I heard TC in there, I think. And, um, and the, and Garcia's bends on the, on the guitar, uh, before they started singing, uh, had a, uh, I don't know. I just, I felt like 69. Sure. Also going on the next round is Gunner. Gunner is 59 from Roy, Utah. Thanks for being here, Gunner. Why 69? Well, uh, like Steve said, Garcia's guitar at the beginning kind of had a working man's dead vibe. And I was also, I was hearing what I thought was TC. And that was the big sway factor for me because when it first started, I, I was sort of leaning towards 1970. But but here in TC is what kind of sold me on 69. I, I can't say that I've heard a whole ton of versions of that song. I always default to the Springfield Creamery 1972 version, you know? That's where I came from. Do you find that picking out TC can be difficult? Because it is for me. It is difficult. It's It's very difficult because... The big difference is TC is a, a little bit more melodic than Pig, you know? But he's always kind of buried in the mix, in my experience. Bob, you started photographing the band a little bit after TC's time, but I'm wondering if you've had any run-ins with him. Yeah, I've met TC. I'm friends with TC, and um, I've got a chance to uh, hang with him many times. Uh, I mean, in, in modern the modern era, er, era, I can't say that word. He's really funny, and he he has a memory like you wouldn't believe, and he's also smart as a whip, man. Does he have any like a Pete Best complex to him, where he's like shit, you know, like? <laughs> I don't know if he did. If he does, I I never saw it, and he probably got over it about forty, fifty years ago. <laughs> you know, you know. I was thinking about it the other day um, when the dead were inaug- uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, they had Garcia there as a cutout because he, he didn't want to do it. But TC was there. And it was amazing that um, somebody must have pulled some strings and got him to be there. Because, you know, he was a member so long ago for, you know, a relatively short time, but a very potent time in the Dead's uh, history. So I thought that was pretty cool that he uh, was inducted as well with the band. Wasn't Robert Hunter inducted as well? I don't remember, but he sure should be. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. be no grateful day without him. <laughs> well, Lars guessed 1970, um, and for being two years off on an obscure song, he's eliminated. Sorry, Lars. Lars is 27 from Beckley, West Virginia. Welcome, Lars. Tell us about the 70 guest. I think I've only ever heard that he was a friend of mine on like XM Radio in my car on the free trial. You know what I mean? Uh, so. <laughs> And honestly, uh, when I was kind of trying to get ready for this, I skewed more in the 80s because that's where I was having a lot of trouble guessing. Honestly, not being super familiar with this, they were kind of in tune and in control and it reminded me of like 70s Uncle John's band. And so that kind of swayed me towards 70. Same old story. I had 1968 typed out first and I heard some lick and I was like, no, this is great. Like this is this is super in tune to be 1968. Like this, they're locked in. And so I swayed towards 70. There's something about them where like, you know, their best moments in some years sound like what they sound like all the time in other years, you know, so it's a really good clip to find. I like that. I like that quote. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Lars, how did you get into the dead? I kind of grew up uh, around hippies, you know, uh, so there are always like steelies around and stuff like that on shirts and like flags. Um, and then, you know, I got like a, one of the Grateful Dead best of compilations and kind of listened to that. But I knew they had this live following because. Like I worked at this campground and there were these hippies at the campground and one, uh, he wanted to go to the uh, 50th anniversary shows uh, with the campgrounds in New York and he was catching the bus to get to Chicago and he missed the bus the first day uh, and came back to the campground and tried the second day and made it. And I think he just wandered around in the parking lot the whole time. But yeah, that was my big introduction to like, oh, this, this scene is still happening and there's all this great music from so long ago. And that kind of got me started into the live stuff. And then I'd say, uh, I don't remember exactly what year this was, but that Cornell 77 uh, remaster came out and I listened to that a lot. And that got me really heavily uh, into like finding new live shows and stuff like that. So kind of a on and off obsession ever since. On and off. So sometimes it wanes. Yeah. Sometimes it wanes. I get hyper fixated on other music and stuff like that. Uh, I have a, a, I'm a musician by trade. uh, So a lot of times my music has to be kind of focused. Uh, so I can like learn new music and stuff like that. 
Uh, so I kind of like lose time to listen to as much live Grateful Dead as I want to sometimes and kind of lose track of it. But I get get in and out of it and I've been into it recently. So it's fun to be here. Yeah. Are you in a band or something? I'm involved in a lot of different musical projects. So I'm on uh, faculty uh, for the jazz studies program at Marshall University, which is in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, I go up there like one day a week and teach improvisation. And uh, I have a jazz combo that I instruct as well. And then I play with other groups. I play with a guy named uh, Chance McCoy. He was in an uh, old Crow Medicine show for a while. Uh, he lived in Nashville for a while and moved back to West Virginia. And so now I, I'll travel with him some as well and play. I play upright bass mostly. So I play with him. And then there's another guy I, I music direct for. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm pretty busy most of the time. Uh, he won uh, America's Got Talent. His name is Landau Murphy, and he's from Logan, West Virginia. Uh, so I'm music direct for him, and he does like a Frank Sinatra tribute kind of thing, but has other elements of like Motown and R&B and rock and stuff mixed into the show as well. So it's, it's pretty fun. We play like the way it is and stuff like that. So there's a little Bruce Hornsby bit in that. We have fun with it. So what's the role of a music director? A lot of what I do is like I'll, I'll like make the set list for the shows and I'm in charge of like hiring musicians. It varies from show to show. Sometimes if you're a music director for a show, like uh, you coordinate kind of like conducting the show, but you also play an instrument. And it's the same thing where you're in charge of like sending out music and making sure everyone kind of knows what's going on for the show. So that's really cool. That's a fun position. Yeah. Lars, do you have anything you want to plug? I play with an old time band called Long Point String Band. Uh, we've been together for like uh, eight years now, uh, played a lot around West Virginia and stuff. Um, we're looking to do some touring in the Mid-Atlantic region coming up here soon, so keep an eye out for that. Again, it's called the Long Point String Band. Um, you can hear this and a lot of the other music I've played on on a playlist uh, on Spotify. It's called Lars on the Track. You know, there's a lot of bass playing on there for me as well as some saxophone playing. Uh, sax was my first instrument and I do a lot of that still. Um, so yeah, again, that's called Lars on the Track on Spotify. Uh, hope you check it out. Thanks. Lars, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time out. Hey, it's great great to be here. Excited to listen to the rest of this. That was that was tough. So <laughs> good work. Hey, th- and good pick, Bob. It's uh, great to be here. Good, good to thank- meet briefly. Thanks, Lars. Thanks, Lars. Gunner, Warren, and Steve are on in the next round. Bob has another pick. you came to play (laughs) yes i did i didn't come here to make it easy i was the other one at the milk wag in amsterdam on october 15th 1981 oh my god (laughs) bob tell us about that one so that was my first time to europe and when i heard about these shows were happening i figured out like i wanted to go so I couldn't find anybody to go with, so I went myself. And um, at the show in Rüsselheim, uh, the Rock Scully said, um, said that the next two shows in France were canceled, and the next show was going to be in Paris. But um, one of the people I met on the tour was kind of new, you know, had inside information and said, they're going to play at this club in Amsterdam. That's where we should go. This was from the first night, the 15th, and um, it's 
close, dear to my heart, because, you know, it was a great experience for 22-year-old deadhead, you know, first time in Europe, being right up on the stage, right in front of Phil and Bobby during this. And I remember during this other one, I remember closing my eyes and looking down and saying to myself, I'm never going to forget this moment as long as I live. So, and the thing that makes it an added twist is, you know, of course, Jerry was, and Bobby were playing not their typical guitars. So that throws a little, you know, zinger on it where it kind of can kind of distort what you're thinking, where, what year it's from. So, sorry. <laughs> is this the show that they didn't have any of their own instruments? Well, it was just Bobby and Jerry. Okay. Phil had his bass. Jerry had a Yamaha, a, like a store-bought Yamaha guitar, and Bobby had a uh, Telecaster look-alike guitar. The drum setup was much simpler. Phil had his bass, like I said, and Brent was playing uh, whatever rented keyboard they had. But Jerry still sounds like Jerry, no matter what guitar he plays. And um, I mean, Tiger was the guitar on the tour. But you know, a lot of people said it was borrowed, this, that, and the other thing. And I finally asked Steve Parrish, so what was the deal? So the deal was that he didn't want uh, Gar Garcia and Weir's guitars to kind of go on this kind of loosey-goose thing to Amsterdam. He wanted it to go with all the equipment safe and sound to Paris for the next show. And he didn't tell Bobby and Jerry that, and they were really like kind of freaked out a bit. So he said that day, they went to a music store in Amsterdam and bought those guitars. And he said it was just funny because the, the, the young guys working in the music store had no idea who they were. And I asked <laughs> them what happened to those guitars. And, you know, it was probably given to somebody and they just disappeared. Well, Steve's Parrish's unilateral decision to get new instruments reverberates through time 40 years later because it eliminates our six-time defending champ, Steve, who guessed 71, Warren guessed 72, and Gunnar guessed 78. We'll get to Steve in a sec, but Gunner, you were closest. You're on to the final. You got 78. Tell us about that choice. I'm dumbfounded that I was the closest. Um, <laughs> the big thing that I was hearing there was I thought I heard Keith. So that's sort of what I was going by. I can't believe that Steve is going away. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> well, you know, it, it does have an old sound to it. I mean, I will say that, you know, in defense of picking 71 and 72. Yeah. Warren, why did you choose 72? I picked, I was obviously wrong. Um, I was lost. I was confused when the, when the music came on. Um, but I, I, I thought it was lively, like an early 70s. Jerry seemed like he was in control. But, uh, you know, on hindsight, it clearly wasn't. So I can't explain it. Um, I know that typically when I hear these songs, I know. You know, when it's something I know, I know right away. I never really got my head around that. Maybe it was the different instruments. I didn't hear Brent at all. I'm not sure why. That's that's where I'm at. Not a good explanation. I screwed up. But I'm, I, I really feel like this is a massive, massive fluke that Steve, we caught him on a really soft moment. I've heard the last six episodes, and I've never seen <laughs> you make a mistake. All right, Steve. Uh, you're a legend on the show. You've won six regular season games in a row, but you also won the whole tournament of champions. The only thing that could get you out was them not using their own instruments. Tell us about what you heard on this track. Well, I feel like an idiot. Uh, well, not really, actually. But I mean, when, I, when you said <laughs> no. when you said Milk Veg, I just went, "Oh my god!" Because, like, I have I, that was one of my first tapes. I've like I've I've heard that so many times, but there was I I have the video that single camera weird tube shot video from those shows. Like I, I know those shows. I know the story of the instruments, but what I heard, I heard an audience tape from 70 or 71. I couldn't tell if there was one or two drummers and my head was stuck on like the spring 71 shows. That's what I was hearing. I was hearing Garcia's guitar, like that peanut guitar. And the the chords that Weir was playing and some of the phrasing, I'm like, that is that is April 1971, man. And then I thought, well, shit, maybe there's two drummers. I can't tell. I played the game. I lost. That's it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> my hat for the record, you know, I had a, I just had this premonition. I'm like, tonight's the night I go out because I had a feeling you were gonna come with some with some shows, you know. Um, it wasn't going to be like, here's Spring Tour 77, Scarlet Fire, you know, boom, boom. 
but I, I want to thank Mike and everybody for playing for, you know, I mean, this has just been, I got told uh, Mike on a number of occasions, like this is the, and I think rich from a couple episodes said it too. It's like, it's so nice to know that I'm not like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, sound pretty normal that's what to I'm me. saying. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, my, I'm, I'm thrilled that to have had the opportunity to do this. And I'm also thrilled for other people to play now, you know, and we'll see what happens. Thank you. I'm excited. So, I enjoyed listening to you and I'm excited for, I don't feel like Gunnar and I will have, uh, knocked you off if we win but well you got you absolutely did like this is this you know you know what's really funny is this last week i've been listening to uh george harrison's album all things must pass and so there you have it right well you impressed us for many weeks and you moved everyone last week with uh, your story steve Thanks, i'm man. so glad we were able to get it in yeah, i've been you. getting emails about it and instagram comments about it and you're the man steve Thanks. I Thank appreciate you. it. It was nice meeting Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All, all you guys. Yep. And Bob, your work, um, you know, it's, it's in my house, you know? So, I mean, you're, it's, you're, you're omnipresent in, in this world. And so I just appreciate everything you've done over the years for sure. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I have to ask, how did, what's the story? If you can remember that shot of Phil wearing the Duke t-shirt at William and Mary in 78, how did that happen? That's like the best picture. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm doing the Phil book now, so I have a series from that uh, show. So, um, so we got there early because these people in my neighborhood uh, chartered a bus and to take to take uh, you know whoever wanted to sign on to that to go down to Blacksburg, Virginia, on the 14th, and then over to William and Mary the 15th, and then home. So we got to William and Mary early in the day, and uh, we're just hanging out on the campus, which was a pretty that's a nice campus, and the apparently i guess the dead were there early too because phil actually because i have the sequence of him out of walking from their bus towards my direction and he passed right by me when i took that picture and then he walked over like where the loading dock was and he sat down and these these two kids with a banner that they were going to have at the show saw him and came over and said hey would you sign this for us so i have the whole sequence of phil looking pen in his hand signing it I've never, those kids, those, I was a kid then too. They never found me because a lot of times these people on my pictures, I, they find me years later and I, oh, you're that guy or you're that person, right? These people, for some reason, never found me. They, I'm sure they would love it. But yeah, so Phil basically got off the, his, the bus and walked right past me, but then hung out for a while by the loading dock where people gathered and he was, you know, being social. And I was just thinking like, man, this is so cool. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for indulging. That's awesome. Okay. Well, the first Steveless Finals is kicking off with Gunner and Warren. Here are three songs from Bob. Whoever is lower in the aggregate over the three songs in total number of years wins and continues on to the next episode of Guest of the Year. Let's hear Bob's first pick of the finals.
So that was Comes a Time at the Palladium on May 4th, 1977. Bob, that was gorgeous. Could you tell us more? I'd have to say the jam after the Comes a Time that night that led into the playing in the band that ended the show was probably one of my most favorite pieces of Dead that I got to see. Um, the Dead did five nights at the Palladium, and my friend and I waited all night online at, at Grand Central Station. We got tickets for three nights. Why not all five, you ask? Well, because tickets were like seven fifty, and you know who can come up with all that money for five nights? Since I was already going to Hartford, and you know, so had enough for three nights. So I picked. Um, we picked the first night, the twenty ninth, and the last two, the third and the fourth. And the third and the fourth, we had the same seats both nights, fifth row center in a theater show. And it was a Wednesday night. I was, you know, the waning days of high school. And, you know, it's a Wednesday night just after being in school all day, take the subway into, because I lived in Brooklyn, take the subway into Manhattan to the Palladium. Why not do acid on a Wednesday night? And um, when you have to go to school the next day. (laughs) So let me tell you, it was so mesmerizing. I mean, Jerry... I still have a picture of him in my mind because I didn't take any pictures. Uh, he just looked so sad when he was playing. Like he looked just so like, like he was living the word, like of the song comes a time, like through the emotion of playing it, like his, his face just looked that way. And I've listened to this a million times and figured 77 definitely has those tones to it that you guys might get. So figured I'd throw you a bone. Yeah. Or did I? No, yeah. They, they're very close, slash got it. But Bob, I'm wondering how you got into The Dead. What preceded that show and that acid trip? Oh, well, I started listening to The Dead when I was like 13. So as long before I got to see any shows. The progression was meeting a guy who turns you on to getting high. Then you start hanging out with friends you knew kind of like through elementary school and growing up in the neighborhood. Then you found out that they got high also. Oh, and they're listening to this music that sounds amazing. Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Johnny Winter, Jethro Tull, all, the, you know, the, all this stuff. And now you're enveloped in this whole new world, you know, this world that involved growing your hair long and not caring about school and just wanting to get high all the time and hang out with your friends and listen to music. But the thing was, most of the bands that I got turned on to, they were gone already. Like, there was no Cream. There was no, you know, um, Jimi Hendrix. But wait, the Grateful Dead, they're still around. You could actually see the Grateful Dead. They just kind of had resonated with me a lot. And, you know, in my neighborhood, the older kids who had seen them, you know, there was just all this mythology about them. You know, all these stories, you know, these long shows and all this shenanigans that go on. And it just fascinated me. And then, you know, when you start listening to the songs and the words, you know, like, you know, it involved travel and, you know, card games and all this stuff. It just, you know, sucked me in like, you know, I'm sure my story is not that unusual. So it wasn't until I was 15 that I got to finally go to concerts, you know, because like Watkins Glen was when I was 14, like kids in my neighborhood went, I'm like, how am I going to go? You know, when they played at Nassau Coliseum in 73, well, shit, how do you even get tickets for that? See, like I'm the older brother. So my sister took her to her first show. She wasn't even 13 yet. So she benefited by having me as an older brother. But, you know, I'm the older brother. So anyway, it wasn't until I was 15 when some older kids took, you know, put, took me under their wing and took me to shows. So the first show I went to was The Dead at Roosevelt Stadium in 74. But what happened was it rained out. I was there. And there was the wall of sound, and I was so happy. I was finally at a dead show. But it rained out, and it was postponed. And I don't want to get into it now because it still bugs the shit out of me. But I wasn't able to go back to the makeup show, <laughs> which was a few days later. So what happened was the dead, as you know, took a hiatus right after that. So they didn't come back to the New York area or really any area, unless you lived in San Francisco, until uh, 76. So I didn't actually get to see the dead until 76 when they came back in June. But Garcia Band, uh, I got to see a few months later in uh, November 74 at the Capitol Theater when he played with the band with Merle Saunders. So that, you know, kept me going. I saw a bunch of those shows through the spring of 75, and then Kingfish came around. So by the time I saw The Dead, I saw all the members except for, for Phil or Mickey, too. 
because Keith and Donna Band opened for Kingfish, and Billy was a guest drummer for Garcia. You know, so I got to check off all of them. So when I finally saw them at the Boston Music Hall on June 11th, 1976, I got to see Phil finally. And now you have a book of Phil photographs, just Phil, as you do just Bobby and just Jerry. And I'm wondering, I, you the know, but, yeah, I, I saw <laughs> just Jerry when it came out and I thought it was such a good idea. So what was the creative origin of this series of one band member being featured at a time? Well, you know, I was kicking around ideas with my wife and she goes, well, why don't you do a book on just Jerry? <laughs> and that just like really stuck. Just Jerry rolls off the tongue. Nice. So that's really was the germ of the idea. And I knew I would be doing one on Bobby. And then I was going to see how it goes if I was going to do one on Phil. Of course, you know, we got some wise, wise guys asking me, am I going to do just Brent and just Vince and stuff like that? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, it really enables me to focus in on one, you know, that one person on stuff that wouldn't make it into a general book of Grateful Dead photographs. You know, because you have to cover so much ground. Like I did with my first book, Live Dead, was my general book of dead photographs. But here, with these, I can get into the more obscure photos and just go, you know, deep tracks, so to speak, which is a lot of fun, which is what I'm doing now with the fill book. I'm almost done with the layout. It's going to go to the printer in a few weeks. And, um, you know, I'll get the printed books probably in the spring. So that creative limitation excited you. Yeah, you have to have a parameter because other, without a parameter, it's like wide open. It's too much. It's you get paralyzed by too many um, options. So you know, I want to do another book on um, just focused on the uh, my new like my New York photos, like living in New York, not great, just Grateful Dead, but everything else. I mean, like in the seventies and eighties, like Bruce Springsteen at the Palladium in nineteen seventy eight. You know, you know Paul Butterfield and Rick Danko at the Lone Star Cafe, Jethro Tull at Madison Square Garden in 78. I have all these great photos that, that mostly haven't been seen much because the, the Grateful Dead stuff you know, seems to somehow <laughs> get out there more. But um, I want to do a book just focused on the tri-state area, all the, sh the venues, the Beacon, the Capitol, and all that stuff, all the clubs in Long Island. So that'll be a future one. How's your hearing? Hearing is definitely impact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wearing earplugs for years, but those early Hot Tuna shows probably destroyed me. So Warren was closer. Warren got it exactly 77 and Gunner guessed 76. Warren, nice pull. 77, did you just immediately identify? Oops, 77. Well, I thought it could be 76 and there's some really nice comes at times in 76, but 77 is, it sounded like that. Um, but it, it could have been 76. It's a beautiful jam. And that May 77 sound is fairly distinct. But I was so surprised by being so off before that I'm definitely not coming into this with the confidence I thought I would. Gunner, you were one year off on 76. Warren was saying you could see it. What were you uh, thinking with the 76? Well, I think comes, comes a time in that era was sort of sporadic, if I'm if I'm correct there. And, and uh, just the vibe that I was hearing was a little bit more of like the, the, the comeback tour vibe of 76. I just guess 76. Yeah. Sure. It was a good guess. And you're only one down going into the next rounds, round two of three. And Bob has another great song. Let's hear it.
All right, the guesses are in. It was a jam at Tivoli Concert Hall in Copenhagen, Denmark on April 14th, 1972. Bob. So this popped into my radar only recently, even before this show, I was even thinking about this show. I was visiting my mom um, last month in uh, New York, or New Jersey, actually, while I was there, hit a couple of Bobby shows at the Capitol. But um, so I was working on my laptop and I was looking on YouTube for things to listen to. And this thing came up. And if you look it up on YouTube, it's called Grateful Dead Feeling Groovy Jam Medley 10 Song Mashup. And I just let it roll. And it went from like 69 to 74. And it was, oh man, it was so good. And this person who, who edited it that way. So for this, I thought I got to include something from that medley. So he had it nice and isolated, like timestamps for the different shows. So it was really hard to pick out what 90 second clip of this mashup to do, but I settled on this one. Thanks, Bob. And I will put the link to the YouTube video of the jam medley in the show notes. Gunner was closer. He guessed 1973. Warren guessed 1970. So Gunner ties it up. They are both two years off in total after over two songs. Gunner, only one year north at 73. What were you thinking there with that guess? Well, when it started playing, I was hearing Europe 72. Um, But the thing that threw me off was during that jam, all of a sudden, I thought I was hearing an Eyes of the World jam from 73, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, no, it's not 72, it's 73. So so uh, it, it, you can sort of hear, listening to that, that there's sort of the seeds of the jam that went into Eyes of the World a year later. Wow. Some deep listening there, Gunnar. Nice, uh, nice work. <laughs> That's amazing. Warren, you guessed 1970. Tell us about that guess. Well, I, I heard right away it was a feeling groovy jam, and I had in my mind some of the, almost the China Rider stuff they were doing in 74. I was sort of there. I didn't hear that, though. And I heard 72, the sound. I even heard Blunky Keys, which wouldn't have been in 70. But then I kind of had in mind, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that happened in late 1970, and I knew that they were doing in Dark Star, they were doing these feeling groovy jams. So I thought, you know, 70. I hadn't heard it. Or I would have known it. I don't think I would have forgotten that one. But anyway, great pick. It's coming down to the wire. But before we go on to the last song of the finals, Warren, would you please tell us how you got into the dead? Um, I got into the dead. I, I guess in high school, I had a couple of friends who had older brothers. I'll shout out uh, Mike and Bip. And we were boring tapes and hanging out. And then um, the dead came to Cops Coliseum and I couldn't go. And that must have felt like Bob during the, the Roosevelt Stadium show. It was just devastating at the time that I couldn't attend. And then ultimately got to go to, you know, and, and you, 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 you know, you, you sort of hang on that for a bit. And it was, and I was already obsessed and I was training tapes and just became absolutely obsessed. I would just take, listen, listen to tapes and get tapes and kind of packages coming from everywhere. And I was just obsessed. And from the back of Relics, I would do blanks and postage. I would do, I, I, I just was really obsessed. After Jerry died, I was very upset. I wasn't as into, I wasn't as into it for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, now it's, you know, we're going, I saw every incarnation of these, these bands through the years and gone into other music and have three kids and a, busy job and a life, but the level of obsessiveness that I had for about five years of the Grateful Dead was my tapes, you know, I'd have 700 tapes or something. You could have, I would have won this game with those tapes, you know, with, I'd give you the exact date, right? And it was, I would give the date. It was just, but this is harder, much harder. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I was a tape head really more than anything. Did you get to the point where you had so many tapes, people were asking you for the tapes? Were you like the tape master? Yeah, amongst my friends, I certainly was. And I would befriend people who had, you know, you're trying to get these low generation tapes. I was at audience tapes too. I really enjoyed that. Um, first gen. First gen audience <laughs> tapes. If you got someone and they, and, they, and those right. kind of people were really nice to share. People who. Maxell UDXL2S. I would do XL2S's. <laughs> I would take the stickers. I'd send them back for t shirts. Yeah, XL2S 90s was, was my tape. It was a lot of fun for sure. Thank you, Warren. And Gunner. Can you tell us how you got into the dead? Well, uh, I saw my first show in 1983. I, but before that, I, I did 
did not like the Grateful Dead. Uh, I, I, I'm an old prog guy and I was going to college at UNH and, and, uh, on my floor, all the people up there were deadheads. And so it was just drilled into me and, and blues for Allah really broke down my defenses. And so at the end of the school year, they were all driving out to Saratoga, New York, and, and they invited me to come. And I, you know, I certainly had heard that, you know, Grateful Dead is the greatest live band there is, you know? So I, I, Figured, what the heck, you know, eight dollars. I was there. <laughs> a piece of paper, and and I didn't know what hit me, you know. So, um, I all I knew was I had to go back. I got to see him again in a couple months in Portland, Maine, and and uh, after that, me and my buddy were like, "Well, they're playing in Worcester in a couple nights. Let's go." And so, yeah, that's that's sort of the a similar story to everybody else i'm sure you know but yeah i've been doing it ever since and and i i continue to do it uh you know i i think i might have taken a couple years off around like 2000 to 2002 because around that time i was uh lost in alcoholism and uh i i found uh sobriety and and once i'd been sober for a little while i I uh, started trying to get back out to see the guys again, and and from then on, it's been it's been on, baby, you know, and still loving every minute of it. Yeah, congratulations, that's amazing. And so you started seeing shows again, and yeah, what was that adjustment like? I remember the first show being a, a rat dog show in Park City, Utah, in '02, and it was a it was weird. It was definitely weird, but. Uh, you know, the more grounded I got in sobriety, the more I realized that the the whole spiritual aspect of of the Grateful Dead it it it, it, it grew on me because I didn't have a higher power before before I got sober. But and, and I'm not one to say that Jerry was my higher power, but I found a higher power, and then I realized how. The Grateful Dead music was it was was it all tied in so so much you know it's church you know I'm sure we all know the feeling so yeah it's it's a great journey I mean and like the other people have said it's so much better than it used to be I don't have to spend half my time in the men's room line and I don't have to spend half my time in the beer room beer line you know I, I can I can totally focus on the music and and. Uh, and I can be a lot more discerning in what I'm listening to. You know, I don't miss, I don't miss anything, you know? Well, thank you, Gunnar. I'm so glad people are sharing these stories on the show. My pleasure. All right. These guys are deadlocked at two points each going into the third and final song. Unless there's a tie. Let's hear Bob's pick. some singing we've got some words in there yeah. a couple <laughs> count them <laughs> it's hard 
saying who that guitar player is off the top of my head. It really is. You only have to guess the year, not the guitar player. I know. Player. I know. <laughs> it was West LA Fadeaway at MSG on September 24th, 1988. Bob. I got photos that night I never thought I'd ever get of Garcia with um, Hall & Oates. I think that was like a 10-night run at the Garden in 70, in 88. And um, on one of the days, on the 14th, Dennis McNally called me and said, hey, you want to come to the UN? Because they're going to be a press conference there with uh, Jerry and Bobby. I was like, what time do I need to be there? So that was like that week I got to do that. And then I didn't go to all 10 nights. I know I'm a bad deadhead. But, um, but I went to a few. And it's funny, after that, the last night of that, oh no, that was the year before in 87, after I went to five nights at the garden, somebody was like, you're going to Philly tomorrow? I'm like, no. <laughs> but anyway, um, that night, you know, didn't know what to expect. It had this crazy list of people that was going to play and didn't, you know, and actually it turned out to be really good. You know, there were parts like Suzanne Vega was very sweet. She was definitely stage struck when she came out to a full Madison Square Garden, you know, and Jerry, I remember from what I could see when I was photographing, went over to her, whispered some things to her, like, you know, some encouragement, I guess. And Jack Cassidy playing with Weir and Hornsby and Brent, the keyboards together. And then again, you know, Hall and Oates. And then Mick uh, Taylor, you know, which I'd never seen before, who I've never seen before or since. You know, it was pretty awesome to, you know, to catch all that stuff, like see, see a number of musicians I've never seen before in one night at a dead show was, was pretty unique. Well, I thought it would be good because, you know, 88, you might guess West LA 88, but I purposefully picked the part that has Mick Taylor in it to make it more difficult. <laughs> I mean, I could pick an Eyes of the World from 73, right? And you'll be like, oh yeah, that's 73. In fact, that's that's March 20, you know, like that'll two nine seven, you know, blah, 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 blah. so, but I didn't want to do that, so. Well, I have one more question about photography and I don't know anything about photography, but I always think it's interesting when all the photographers go into the pit at the beginning of the show and then they kind of branch off and they all go to different places. What's your strategy, I guess, for that particular show? Right. Well, it really depends on, on the show. It also depends on the lighting. Like why is one night, like I have a lot more shots of Bobby than Jerry or more of Phil than because the lights were better on those people that night. It's really about like the lights, like if they're good on the person. You know, because if the person's doing something, an amazing expression, but they're in the shadows, especially back then with film, which, you know, you, you had a lot more limitation. So you really just wait for the lights to do certain things. And, you know, for those good expressions and interactions between the, the look of Jerry giving over to Bobby, things like that. That's what, you know, I'm sure most of the photographers are looking for the same thing. And that's what I'm looking for and waiting for those moments. You know, you don't want to be like looking the other way or talking to somebody and turn, oh, you know, have the wrong lens on. That's happened. Like it's a, it's a shot where you need a close up and I have like wide angle on or vice versa and you're frantically switching lenses, you know. Do you ever worry that you're going to like catch their eye and they're going to like look at you? I, that's why I would hope that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wanted to. Because they know you well, at this point, awesome. you know, like, because they well, know, like, oh, there's mean, Bob. <laughs> Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I feel like that might be awkward or something. Yeah, but I mean, back then, they, they certainly didn't. Um, one of my favorite shots I ever took was at um, the Grateful Dead at Winterland, 1229.77. The first shot I took, which was uh, when Jerry, where they were tuning up to do um, Jack Straw, and I was right in the front holding a camera up. And, you know, sometimes somebody's holding a camera, your eye just, like, looks, you know, inadvertently looks at them. And I think that's what Jerry did. He looked straight at me and I was just like, <laughs> and I just love that shot. But that's rare. You know, it happens, but it's not often that you get the, a direct look, you know. Well, Gunner got it exactly. 88, Warren, guest Amazing seven. Gunner. Gunner, congratulations. You're the new champion of guest of the year. First new champion in a long time. You earned it with that 88. Wow. How did you diagnose it? Well, what I was kind of hearing when I could tell it was a different guitarist, which was right away, was I kept thinking of the the Santana guest spot at Calaveras County, and that was 88, I think. Uh, that benefit show was one of those that I uh, was kicking myself for not getting to, but I didn't really, 
honestly, I didn't go to a lot of New York shows, but because I was living in New England at the time, you know, but but I got down there once in a while, but I missed out on that. Of course, it was a hard ticket to get. Yeah, I just took a stab in the dark there. I was thinking about, I was kind of thinking about, was there more guest spots in 87 or was it, was it 88, you know, and I sort of just guessed on 88. Tough competition, guys. You know, you all did great. And and Bob, gosh, you this was a toughie. I mean, the whole show was tough, Bob. Oh well, I, there's more uh, to get to, but <laughs> Warren, your guess eighty seven. Tell us about it. I I didn't know who the guitarist was, and I just guessed eighty seven. Sounded like it was somewhere between eighty seven and eighty nine, um, just by by the band. And um, I know they were playing it a lot in eighty seven. I thought there might have been. I thought it might have been the guy from Los Lobos or something. I think they might have played in there. I didn't know what it was, um, but I knew it was eighty seven, eighty nine, and I just took a stab. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. And oh, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun. All I had to do was pick the songs. You guys had to do the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Bob's books, Just Jerry and Just Bobby, are in uh, links to them are in the show description. And Just Phil will be, it's coming out this year. M- May. I should have it. May. So you can follow along, Bob. His Instagram will be in the show notes as well. And you can get updates on Just Phil, but Just Bobby and Just Jerry out now. Thank you, Bob. No, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun and great to meet you all. Great to meet yeah. you, Bob. Yeah, thank yeah, you so you much. Too, Thanks, everyone. And thank you so much for listening. For all those show links, including our YouTube channel, go to guesttheyear.net. And if you want to be contested on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at Thanks again to Erin from Sunshine Daydream. The link to her incredible boutique store and her Instagram are both in the show notes. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the poster and James and Jack for helping out behind the scenes. Thank you again to Bob Minkin for curating an incredible set list. Links to Bob's books are in the show notes. And you can also find his Instagram there where you'll get news on the upcoming Just Phil. Obviously, huge congratulations to Steve, who set the record for six consecutive victories on Guest of the Year. He'll be back for the Tournament of Champions. But if you want to hear him in the meantime, check out his amazing podcast, Trying to Be Better with Joel and Steve. That link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening again. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our new champ, Gunner. And to our other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.